Please be seated. You know, in Christ, we are not who we once were. Um, we are new creations. We are new people. And now God calls us to live that out, to live out who we have become in Christ. And that's true especially in the context of the community of God's people. You know, emotions are really powerful things, aren't they? Uh, you know, wars have been fought over emotions. Um, you know, emotions and character are, are deeply tied together. And so oftentimes we let our emotions run our lives uh, in such a way that is unhelpful. Christ has given us new emotions, new character, new virtues, and now He desires that we walk in those things. That as we interact with each other in our marriages, in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, that we treat each other and use our emotions well in a way that gives glory to God. We've been talking about this putting off and, and putting on, as we put off the old man whom we used to be, the old self and in all of its ways that still clings so closely to us. And Paul then says, having put off those things, we are to put on new things. These new virtues, these new character traits that belong to us in Christ Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says that, he is the true vine, and we are the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. You know, when we are converted, when we are saved, when we are born again, we are connected to and united to Christ even more securely than a branch is connected to a vine. And now as we rely on Him... As we grow in Him, as we are connected to Him, and as a branch grows off the vine and gets all of its nutrients, as we grow in Him, we begin to see new fruit like grapes in our lives that come from that vital union with Christ. But if we're honest, it's a fight, isn't it? It's a fight against those old emotions, those old character traits that, that used to define us before we were believers because they still seem to cling to us. And we still fight the old sinful self and the sinful nature in our hearts. That so often your and my immediate response doesn't always come from the new man, from the bits of us that have been regenerated by Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, but from those old patterns, those things which have been crucified with Christ and done away with. And so Paul continues on in our text today, adding to his list of virtues that we are to pursue and how we are to act towards each other, especially in the context of God's people. Last week we looked at having compassionate hearts and being kind to one another. And so now we pick up with next on the list, and that's humility and meekness. These two words, humility and meekness, are, are very closely related. And together they mean being modest, being humble, having a, a lower position or opinion of yourself. 
you know, the word meek is, it seems, our youth talks about this in Sunday school, and, and it's actually a hard word to define in the, in the English. Uh, meek sounds like weak, but that's really not really what it's getting at. It's, it's more of gentleness. Our Savior calls Himself gentle in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, for I am uh, lowly and gentle, that's the word meek, gentle in heart. We know that our Savior was a, physically, He was a very strong man. He was a carpenter, and He certainly was no pushover. This idea of being humble and gentle, these things belong to who we are in Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian. This is, who, this is what you have and are inheriting from your Savior. And it belongs to you, uh, especially even when we don't really pursue humility. You know, the opposite of humility and gentleness is the idea of self-promotion. Self-promotion. Um, we're always putting ourselves out and, and always being careful to work into our conversations what I have done and my accomplishments. And maybe just wanting up, one-upping someone. Have you ever done that before? Oh, that was a fun trip. Let me tell you about my trip because it was better than yours. Or we listen not to hear, but instead to respond so we can shift the conversation away from the other person and to put it squarely on myself. Uh, you know, Dale Carnegie. Do you know Dale Carnegie? Uh, I, my dad, I hope, is listening to this sermon. Uh, from my childhood, he always said, you have to take Dale Carnegie class. You have to take Dale Carnegie class. And to this day, I still have not. Uh, but I've learned from my dad because he taught it, and so did my brother. And they said the trick to get people to talk... Do you, know, do you know this trick? What do you do? You ask them about themselves. And the next thing you know, uh, you're having a great... Com- well, it's not really a conversation, is it? It's a monologue. And, and I like talking about myself, don't you? Uh, because really, I'm one of my favorite people. <laughs> maybe, maybe my favorite, you know, in, in my own <laughs> sinful heart. I've been thinking a lot over the last month about this, this idea of being special. You know, we, we tell our children they're special. And, and hopefully by that, what we mean is that they have value, dignity, they have worth, they are special to us, right? And, and belonging to God's people, they are, my, my children, your children, are special to the people of God. They belong to a family, beyond our own biological ones. But I think a lot of times, uh, we, especially as Americans, we grow up with this idea that, that, you know, I am special. And I am special in the sense that I am specialer, I know that's not a word, uh, than you. We're all special, but we're not all equally special. And I'm a little more special than you are. Do you get what I'm getting at there? Then we walk into a room and, and I'm so glad that you got to see me today. I'm glad that I could bless you with my presence. Or, or the idea that, you know, the, the rules, they, they apply to everyone, but maybe not everyone equally. Maybe they apply to me just a little bit less. You know, the idea that I really do have it just a little bit more together than you do. 
Um, that I, you know, I, I, we would never say out loud, I'm better than you are, because we know that that's wrong. <laughs> but in our hearts, a lot of times, this is how we operate. That can come from a lot of different places. Maybe it's skin color. Maybe it's uh, poverty or riches. Both sides can have a, a negative view of the other. Uh, maybe it's um, how well you've done in life, success. Maybe it's because you drive a great car or have a bunch of really cool guns. or you, you name it. I'm special. That's what we, we like that because we find our self-value so often in our own selves. When our value is meant to be found in Jesus and not in ourselves. T- turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Uh, if you're using your pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1,115. You know, here, Jesus is going to tell a parable um, that really gets at the root of having a humble heart and the opposite of humility of being prideful and arrogant. And he's going to use two characters in this parable to illustrate... Uh, pride and humility, and he's going to use very startling people. Because the the best of the best of the best in Jesus' world, in that context, uh, were were Pharisees. Now, we hear Pharisee and we think bad guy. Uh, In first century Palestine, you heard Pharisee and you thought the exact opposite. These are the really good guys. These are the religious people. Look at um, verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. You know, it's interesting. You might have a little footnote in your Bible, but when Jesus is crafting this and he, he has this Pharisee standing by himself and praying it actually can read that he was praying to himself. The Greek can mean either way. It's it's a real play on words there. You know, here's this man, this religious leader, who is meant to be defined by humility, meant to be pointing people to the Father, uh, but, but rather he is a man who thought of himself as better than everyone else and even calls out, hey, look at that guy. I'm so glad I'm better than that guy. You know, pride does this to us, doesn't it? Pride uh, um, thrives off of being better than other people or, being, or thinking you're better than other people. Um, you know, Jesus calls us to, to run from pride, to run from arrogance, to put on humility and meekness or gentleness. See, see, our culture, though, is constantly telling us that we must put ourselves at the center of everything. But you know when you have over 7 billion people putting themselves as the center of everything? Some real problems, right? Not everybody can be number one. That's just how it works. And you know, I make a really crummy savior, either of myself or of anybody else. I do a really crummy job of of giving myself significance. If we put ourselves at the center of our lives, our lives will crumble. It might work for a little while, 
where we can look at our accomplishments and our achievements and our successes or our wealth and say, look at me. But in the end, that's an empty place because those things will fade away. And beauty turns to old. And success can only last for a while. You may be successful until you retire, but then you retire. And you're no longer doing that anymore. Jesus and Jesus alone is, is both worthy of being the center of our lives and is capable of being the center of our lives. You, you know, the, the, the path to exaltation in the Bible is not by exalting yourself. It is instead exalting our Savior. This is what the Son came to do. He came to exalt the Father. We read that in the Gospel of John. He set aside His glory and exalted the Father. And then the Father, when He raised His Son from the dead, highly exalted Him and gave Him the name above every name. And now He is seated at the right hand of God. In my heart, I want so often that place of exaltation. And I know you do too. Now, sometimes that pride manifests itself in strange ways. Did you know that having an overly high view of yourself and a highly low view of yourself, is that the right word? Too high or too low? Did you know that both of those things come from a place of pride? They're both pride. When you're too, you have a too high view of yourself, that's real clear, right? I'm awesome, you're not. That's pride. Uh, okay, the, the too low of your view of yourself actually comes from a place of pride because you know in your heart that you're better than that. I'm better than I'm doing, therefore I'm terrible. And that's a place of pride too. We could never live up to that standard. Instead, God calls us to find our significance not in ourselves, but in Christ. Humility is best seen as we put, our, put others before ourselves. And not so that others might praise us. You've done that before, right? I know I have, right? I'm going to help you so that I can hear how awesome I am. Uh, that, that's, that's pride. But when we really do it, when we see others as more important. And what is staggering is this is what Jesus did for us. That, that's the mind-blowing thing. Let me read to you Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God... He was God Himself, He always is, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, who is God, set aside His glory, became a servant, was willingly born under the law and into poverty and into a state of humiliation of the human life and then humbled Himself. And even though He had hung the stars in their courses above, He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because He loves you. 
He loves you and me, though we often seek to exalt ourselves. Though we were sinners, though we were His enemies, He humbled Himself because He loves you, that you and I, we might be forgiven of our pride. We might be transformed, given new life, that we might walk in humility before Him and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if Christ has humbled Himself, the one who deserves all glory and honor and power and dominion for all creation and for all of eternity, if He would do that, who am I? Who am I to seek to exalt myself? We learned this from the tax collector in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18. So we heard the Pharisees' prayer. Basically, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. Um, Verse 13, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you see those two very different prayers? The one could not see his own sin because his eyes were blinded by his pride. But the tax collector, the one who the, the, uh, the world saw as a traitor and a thief and a liar and all those things actually were true, that one saw his own sin and his humility and asked for forgiveness. We find the result in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to, this house, to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What what does humility look like? What does humility look like? What does it look like in your marriage? What would it look like for you to put the needs of your spouse over your own? What would it look like to listen well? and actually consider the views of each other well? Do you get defensive? I do. That's hard, isn't it? But that's coming from a place of pride rather than a place of humility. Humility looks like looking out for the welfare of others instead of just our own. Because the Father has sent the Son that He might look out for our welfare, not just His. For His own glory. It means being able to let go of bitterness. You know, pride hangs on to old hurts and and old sins and likes to bring those things back up. Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. If we can throw someone else's sin in their face, then we don't have to mess, deal with our own mess. It's a defensive posture defense mechanism to keep us from actually having to do work in our own hearts. We read in James that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and He will exalt you. You know, the amazing thing is that this life, though it has many moments of humiliation... In many moments of hardship and trial, uh, there is a day in which we will be exalted. Not because of anything in us, but because we have been united to Christ through faith in Him. 
that on the day when Christ's return, do you know what will happen to us? Our bodies will be raised from the dead. And our souls, if we have gone before already to Jesus, our souls will be united again to our bodies. And we will live with God forever. And we will hear that, those great words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. And we will hear the Father acknowledge us as His sons before all creation. What a great day of exaltation that will be as we share in the exaltation of our Savior. But the way to exaltation is through humility. is through humbling ourselves. And that is required for salvation. That we would humble ourselves before our God just like the tax collector did. And he said, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Have you done that? Have you asked God for forgiveness? Have you recognized that He alone is the one to be exalted? Have you humbled yourself before the living God? Have you humbled yourself before the living God who loved you and gave Himself up for you? Now we are called to live a life of faith. As we look to the things, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, obviously I got through exactly one point in my outline today. (laughs) I reckon we'll pick up next week. Um, But know this, Jesus loves you. You can forget nothing else today. If you remember nothing else today, it's that Jesus loves you. And he humbled himself uh, for your sake. He has been exalted, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again. And that will be a a great day of vindication and a great day of rejoicing. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you that our Savior humbled himself. Uh, The one person in all of creation that did not need to, the one who deserves all praise and glory and who will get all praise and glory. Father, as we serve such a Savior, I pray that we would walk in humility one with another. Lord, pointing each other to you and not to ourselves. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.